who was a bit older than the rest of them. That's what it's called. Moonies, said the other colonial boy. All of them. A Mooney was a white man straight from Europe, his skin still pale and untanned by the African sun. Those below had had a touch of redness to them, a certain amount of sunburn, but clearly they had just arrived with the new regiments from England. It was May 1879, and Lord Chelmsford was building up his army again after it had been cut to pieces by the Zulus. Reinforcements had been arriving since mid-March, trying to acclimatise before the second invasion of Zululand took place. As always, many had fallen ill, especially those who had not been abroad before, and quite a few were feeling homesick. Moonies looked sickly at the best of times, but these soldiers had suffered a long voyage aboard tubs of ships and were a miserable bunch. Him on the rack, said a small Bantu boy. Him no go home forever now. Him dead soldier, for sure. Stay in Africa for bury, eh? Got him dead squire in the heart. Lord Chelmsford's army was busy preparing for the second invasion of Zululand from Natal. The general had under his command fifteen imperial infantry battalions, two regiments of British cavalry, and a naval brigade. In plain figures, sixteen thousand Europeans and seven thousand Natal Kafirs, plus a few thousand civilians with wagons. Chelmsford intended giving Ketsueo a good hiding. As with the first expedition, hundreds of ox-drawn wagons and carts were being assembled. They were packed full of supplies, including water and ammunition. Everything that was needed had to be taken with the troops. There would be cattle out there in Zululand, and game, but for the most part the army would rely on the stores they were carrying. Once again, even officers knew they would be called upon at times to assist when wagons were bogged down in mud, and many soldiers, ex-farmhands, would be placing aside the rifle for the pitchfork to revisit their old work of feeding the cattle. There was a certain amount of revenge in the hearts of most of the soldiers. A massive defeat had been inflicted on them by the Zulus just a few weeks previously. Two thousand men had been massacred at the Battle of Islandwana by an impi of twenty-five thousand warriors. There had also been one or two smaller failures after the big battle— the salt had been rubbed into the wound, and it stung mightily. Indeed, Islandwana was the worst defeat ever suffered by the British army fighting against an enemy using primitive weapons. There had been another massacre, back in 1842 in Afghanistan on a retreat from Kabul. Gleeful anti-British historians often write of the slaughter of around 16,000 British troops. However, this is an incorrect account of the campaign. There were, in fact, only three and a half thousand soldiers in that column, of whom only 690 were British, a single battalion of the 44th Foot, the Essex Regiment. The others were Bengalis of the Honourable East India Company, fierce fighters and admired for their warfare skills and courage, but not the British Army. And the remaining twelve and a half thousand dead? They were camp followers, women, children, and male civilians. Since the massacre in Afghanistan was not a massive defeat of the British army per se, it did not compare with Islandwana. Islandwana's 2,000 was more significant, and, more importantly, after Islandwana, 
the British were facing more than primitive weapons. The Zulus now had 2,000 of the latest Martini Henry rifles, along with many boxes of ammunition. This sobering thought was in the minds of many soldiers about to reinvade the inhospitable land beyond the Buffalo River. Rifles were not difficult to operate, and the Zulu warrior was not stupid. A soldier in the next battle would face more than spears and the odd musket. This time, the iron wind would be blowing in both directions. Sam Weary, Seb's self-appointed Oza Batman, was sewing a tear on the ensign's uniform outside the tent Sam shared with Corporal Evans, Seb's assistant, Provost Marshal, when young Tom came up looking hot and bothered and short of breath. Sam remained intent on mending the tear, but he was aware of the boy's agitation. He said nothing.